This is Professor Allen, and welcome to the Quarter Bin. In every episode of this podcast, I will summarize, criticize, discuss, and review a single issue from my comic book collection, which I will select usually at random. Any book from my comic book collection is eligible, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for it. Was the issue worth 25 cents? Was it a bargain at 25 cents, or was it still overpriced? Stay tuned and find out. For this 17th episode of The Quarter Bin, I'm looking at The Nom, number 15, from Marvel Comics, cover dated February 1988. Now I know what you're thinking. Why am I covering an issue of The Nom when Tom Panarist hosts the excellent podcast In Country, which covers this series issue by issue? And didn't he just cover issue 14, the one right before this, in his last episode just a few weeks ago? And isn't he a way more experienced podcaster than you? And a better looking man? Hey, don't get lippy with me. Actually, there is a story to that, and I will tell it later in the episode. But for now, let me say this. I do heartily recommend that you listen to Tom's podcast. And if you're listening to this episode on the day of its release, and if Tom and I worked out all the details right, then you can go right to the in-country feed and hear Tom's take on this exact same issue today. But if you could wait at least 20 minutes, that would help. The NOM, number 15, had a cover price of 75 cents meaning I acquired this comic at a pleasant enough 67% discount. The story, Notes from the World, was written by Doug Murray, with art by Wayne Van Zandt and Jeff Isherwood. The cover shows soldier Ed Marks with his big army green duffel bag in line at an American airport. He is standing between two disgruntled characters, a big ugly hippie chick who seems to be giving him lip and a disapproving mother with her hands on her hips. The issue itself takes place in April 1967. The 23rd Infantry is under a red alert as the VC lobs mortars at their location. A half hour after the initial assault, they wait for the alert to end. They decide to read the letter they just got from Ed Marks, a member of the 23rd who just arrived back stateside. Ed was actually one of the main characters of the series up until his departure just a few episodes back. This action at the bunker constitutes the issue's framing sequence, with the next 15 pages constituting the whole of the letter. I'm going to read the letter in full, giving you as podcast listeners the same experience that the other members of the 23rd had listening to Rob read the letter. Dear Rob and all the rest of you guys, I'm writing this from my room in Fort Jackson. Believe it or not, they made me a drill instructor. Imagine, me pushing troops. But I guess they had to get me doing something, and it's the wrong time for any kind of early out. My trip home was better than I expected. I guess all that flying in choppers was good for me. Still, I was surprised at the welcome when I flew into McCord. I mean, there was nothing. Nobody at all. And then they herded us into the reception building, took our gear and dumped it all over the place. I guess they were looking for drugs or something, and some of the guys checking in must have had some. But still, there must have been a better way to check. 
Finally, though, they squared away my orders and gave me my back pay and travel money, and I got to go home on leave and see my folks. It was great to be home. But still, something wasn't right. I saw it on the TV. There were college students in Wisconsin trying to... I don't know what. Something about a representative for Dow Chemical and them trying to stop Dow from making napalm. Napalm. How many times did a napalm drop save our butts? Even my folks don't seem to understand. My dad tried to explain to me why everyone thought the war was wrong, but I I guess I just wasn't ready to listen. The next couple of days, I looked up my old friends, but either they had changed or I had. Then I decided to see my old girlfriend. The less said about that fiasco, the better. Over the next couple of days, I watched a lot of TV. You wouldn't believe the kind of stuff they're showing about the Nam. They had some report on about Charlie shelling some Marines at Da Nang. You'd think the whole Corps was wiped out. And then they showed me some yacht, the Phoenix, taking supplies to Charlie. And they were smiling about it. Finally, it was time for me to go back. I reported to the first shift at 1612, my new unit at Mount Jackson. It was a little different than my first look at top back in country. I was introduced to the DI I'd be working with, a Sergeant Oshi, and he introduced me to the rest of the cadre. Seems the new troops were due at the top of the week. Some of the other cadre members also spent time in country, and some of them are having problems adjusting. Still, life goes on, and the new troops were on their way. Cripes, those troops were young. I tried my best to get them ready. Tried to teach them all the things that you and Sergeant Polko and Mike taught me. But the whole country seems to be going crazy. Still, life goes on. Uh, Let me tell you about a troop named Lewin. I don't know how Lewin ever got into the army. But now that he was in, we were supposed to make him into a functioning soldier if that was possible. We managed to get him into the fourth week to the rifle range, but I don't think we had a chance to get him to pass. Sergeant Oshi was determined to try, though. After about 50 misses, Sergeant Oshi told Lewin to put the safety on his rifle. That was his first mistake. Then Oshi walked down range and started to straddle Lewin's weapon to show him what he was doing wrong. That was his second mistake. Lewin still hadn't gotten the safety on, and the rifle went off, shall I say, startling Sergeant Oshi. The sergeant reacted rather violently and took Lewin out of the firing line. The next day, all the paperwork was cut to throw Lewin out of the army for the good of the service. But Lewin wasn't pleased to get out. He wanted to fight. He believed in what we're doing in the Nam. The whole country is burning their draft cards, and this misfit wants to fight. Maybe there's some hope yet. And I decided a couple of things. First, I would do my best to make these new troops the best that they could be. Second, that someone who understands what it's really like in the Nam had to tell its story. And ping as I don't know anyone else who fits that bill, I guess I'm going to have to go back to college and become that one. At that point, the enemy fires upon the bunker, and a brief firefight ensues. A mortar explodes the bunker, but the enemy is finally beaten back. As they head back to camp, Rob looks back at the demolished bunker. Lost my mail! Uh, Nice letter from Ed. Oh well. 
And then the last panel of the issue shows the rubble of the bunker, and we see the end of Ed's letter. So keep the faith, Rob, and I'll try to do the same from here. Best from your friend, Ed Marks. The Vietnam War, a conflict that changed America. Of those who served, many came back irrevocably changed, while many did not come back at all. This is their story. Marvel Comics presents The Nam. Join me, Tom Paneris, for In Country, a podcast that covers Marvel Comics series The Nam. Each episode, I will recap and review one issue of the series, as well as provide historical context that's important to understanding the events behind the story. Along the way, I will also take a look at the movies, music, and literature surrounding the Vietnam War. New episodes are posted every two weeks at incountry.podomatic.com. You can find show notes and other media at popcultureaffidavit.com. And we're back. A few months ago, I got on a kick of listening to a bunch of new podcasts. It just seemed polite, seeing as I had just started a new podcast network myself. If I was going to ask you guys to listen to my new entry in the world of comic book podcasting, the least I could do was listen to other folks who had the same idea. Among that batch was Tom Panarese's In Country podcast. He may have actually reached out to me first, suggesting a promo exchange. He was on about episode 8 when I started listening, and mainlined his shows in short order. Then a few weeks later, I saw this issue, The Nom, number 15, in the quarter bin, and I pulled it out to follow along with his coverage. This is what I do with From Crisis to Crisis, and was able to do a few times with Sean Engel's Just One of the Guys podcast. It's fun to follow along with the issue as the host or hosts are discussing it, pointing out the details, etc. But then somehow I got the idea to do something a little different. Not a podcast crossover as much as a podcast event of some kind. Tom has a very predictable release schedule for his shows, so I floated the idea that I go non-random for this episode and schedule myself to talk about this issue on the quarter bin to coincide with his coverage of the same issue, and then we could do a little cross-promotion. And being a good guy and a good sport, Tom was up for it. And so here we are. So we have sort of a double dip going on today. So you've got two podcasters on two shows talking about the same issue on the same day. I confessed in a recent conversation with Luke Giaconetti that war comics are a blind spot to me. That was in either episode 10 or 11 of Shortbox Showcase. And it is kind of embarrassing for someone who regularly reads outside of the standard superhero genre. I enjoy sci-fi and fantasy and crime stories in my comic books, but somehow war books never struck my fancy. So as an outsider to the genre, here are my thoughts on this issue. First, this series did some really interesting things and took some interesting chances in storytelling. Each issue of the NOM takes place a month after the prior issue. 
the real-time nature of the storytelling is certainly unusual. No sliding five-year timeline here. And this is more than a decade before the TV show 24 premiered, by the way. The nature of real-time storytelling in the context of a war book means that characters rotate in and out of the cast, as they would have been rotated in and out of the unit in Vietnam. In prior issues, mention is made of Mark's being short, meaning his time of service in-country was almost up. Do you remember the occasionally pretty good, but way overhyped TV series Heroes from a few years back? The original concept of that show was for each season to tell a full story with a totally different cast each year. Maybe, you know, a few holdovers. But TV and contracts and executives are such that that scheme was unworkable in reality. But that's what the NOM has been able to do. One of the great advantages that the medium of comic books has over other media is that you're not limited by cast. You have a potentially unlimited number of characters. So in this case, you can rotate characters in and out with having to worry about an actor's contract or egos or other budget concerns. And even in the context of a book that does some experimental things, this is a very experimental issue. Two-thirds of it is a letter. And again, here we have a demonstration of what comics can do. And that is show contradictions between words and pictures. As you heard from the letter, there is a heart-sick nature to it, a confusion, a vulnerability. And combined with some of the scenes we're shown, that sense is heightened. Seeing some troop busted for drug possession was stronger than the words alone conveyed, as was the disconnect between Marx and his old buddies. Even dressed casually, trying to fit in, it is clear that his experience in the Nam has changed him. The art shows this separation really well. He just doesn't belong there. There is a nice page of humor when Mark shows up at his old girlfriend's place with a bouquet of flowers, only to find her married and with a young baby. The effects of showing black and white TV is strong, and what he sees on those screens definitely affect him. His leave is over, and he heads back through the airport. And in that page, we have a full-page hero shot of him, walking towards us, dress uniform, duffel bags, and just being stared at. Again, the sense of separation, of distance between soldier and civilian, especially in this particular conflict, is really strong. When he arrives at Jackson for the second half of the letter, I do think we lose a bit of momentum in the storytelling, but I, I understand that we have to get back to army action. I assume that the protests will become larger plot points and elements as the series continues, so we're just laying some of the groundwork here, and that works. The strength of this second part of the issue was the scene with Lewin, the washout. An already funny scene, there is a nice moment where, quote, they took Lewin out of the firing line, was actually Sergeant Oshi giving him a judo flip, and then we move back to the action in the Nam, and we see that life does go on. And I imagine that, like the letter, Marx himself may well be forgotten by the men of the 23rd as well. But we'll have to follow along with the story and with Tom Panarese's podcast, In Country, to find out if that is in fact the case. Now, this is a really interesting slice-of-life story 
as many stories in this title were. The letter page contains an interesting demographic profile. Obviously, these letters are chosen for a reason, but still it seems that this book had a very different group of readers than the superhero fair of the same era did. There's six letters, two from active PFCs, one from a Vietnam vet, and one from a Vietnam-era family member. And there's information on the letters page for an organization that sends cards and letters to our overseas forces. So maybe as special as the title itself was, as unique as the book could be in its storytelling sometimes, as in this issue, the readership may have been just as unique and special. The verdict on the NOM number 15, really good issue, a definite quarter bin find. And this was a good issue for me personally in terms of breaking into war comics as a reader. And, as I said before, there is another opportunity to get a podcaster's take on the NOM number 15. A better informed podcaster, certainly more knowledgeable about the war and about this series. And, yes, probably better looking. So go check out Tom Panarese's take on this issue in today's episode of In Country. That wraps up my coverage of the NOM number 15, bringing episode 17 of the Quarterbin podcast to a close. In episode 18, I'll be heading back to RAN to cover book two of the 1990 prestige format miniseries, Adam Strange, The Man of Two Worlds. If you have any questions or comments about this issue or the podcast, feel free to contact me. Until next episode, I'm Professor Allen, and I'll see you in the quarter bin. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Show notes and links are available at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, where the podcasts Uncovering the Bronze Age and Shortbox Showcase also make their home. Links to Facebook and Twitter are there as well. Feedback for the show is welcome at relativelygeeky at gmail.com. And if you like what we've got going here, please leave a review and a rating in iTunes. It'll help more people discover the show. Thanks again for listening. Professor! Professor.